It's Tuesday, February the 2nd, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist, sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, the world reacts to Myanmar, and Israel sends vaccines to the West Bank. First, the world in brief. Governments around the world condemned the military coup in Myanmar and called for the release of Aung San Suu Kyi, the country's de facto leader, along with other members of her party. America threatened to reintroduce sanctions that had been lifted over the past decade. Protests were held in several foreign cities. Israel delivered 2,000 doses of Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine to Palestinians in the West Bank. Israel has raced ahead with vaccinations. Almost 20% of its 8.7 million citizens have received both shots of the Pfizer-BioNTech jab. But there has been no vaccination program in either the West Bank or Gaza Strip. Israel has promised to share 5,000 jabs, though the Palestinian territories have a population of more than 4 million. Jimmy Lai, a media mogul and prominent pro-democracy activist, appeared in court in Hong Kong to challenge a decision to deny him bail while he awaits trial for colluding with foreign forces, an offence under the territory's controversial national security law. Mr Lai was returned to custody while judges consider his case. Their decision is expected on Monday. America's Congressional Budget Office said the economy will return to its pre-pandemic size by the middle of 2021, even without a further stimulus package. Many sectors of the economy adapted faster to the pandemic than expected, helped in part by the $900 billion recovery package approved by Congress in December. Meanwhile, 10 Republican senators are bargaining to reduce the size of President Joe Biden's $1.9 trillion aid package. Post-Brexit trade barriers and the pandemic took their toll on British manufacturing in January. The seasonally adjusted market CIPS Purchasing Managers Index fell from a three-year high of 57.5 in December to a three-month low of 54.1 in January, although anything above 50 indicates expansion. New export orders were down, while COVID-19 restrictions and transport delays, especially at ports, disrupted supply chains. Global sales of semiconductor chips rose by 6.5% in 2020 as a surge in purchases towards the end of the year offset stifled demand during the first wave of COVID-19. American firms made up 47% of the $439 billion market, but just 12% of manufacturing capacity. Most American companies rely on Asian factories for their chips. And Robinhood tapped its not-so-merry band of shareholders for $2.4 billion on top of the $1 billion it raised last week. The online stockbroker was forced to suspend trading as angry retail investors used it to drive up the price of GameStop, a video games retailer heavily shorted by hedge funds. Their frenzied trading depleted Robinhood's required capital. The mob has since moved into silver, sending its price to an eight-year high. Hello Huddled Masses, Biden's Immigration Plan Joe Biden's torrent of executive orders continues. Today's subject is immigration. He will reportedly sign measures to increase the number of refugees admitted into America tenfold, moving from the Trump administration's all-time low back towards the historical average. 
He could also create a task force to reunite families sundered at the border and reverse a rule impeding immigrants who use public benefits, such as housing aid, from obtaining citizenship. These actions presage a broader and trickier legislative fight. Soon after taking office, Mr Biden sent a bill to Congress that would, among other things, clear backlogs in visa processing, make it easier for qualified immigrants to obtain green cards, bolster the immigration court system and strengthen border security. Many of these measures stand little hope of passage. Congress plans to start smaller, probably by trying to revive the DREAM Act, which would create a pathway to citizenship for undocumented immigrants brought to America as children. Here we go again, Navalny in court. Today, Alexei Navalny, the leader of Russia's opposition, faces a hearing that will probably convert a suspended sentence of three and a half years, handed down in 2014 in a trumped-up case designed to block him from standing for election, into actual jail time. Mr Navalny's arrest on January 17th triggered demonstrations across Russia. More than 5,000 people were arrested in another round of protests this weekend. Paradoxically, the unrest may have been precipitated by the Kremlin's attempt to avert an uprising like the one seen in Belarus, where demonstrations against the country's illegitimate president have continued for months. Many believe that fear of something similar happening in Russia led the security service to poison Mr Navalny with Novichok, a nerve agent, in August. Yet Mr Navalny survived. His imprisonment and the subsequent distribution by his group of a film accusing Vladimir Putin, Russia's president of corruption, have led to a full-blown political crisis. Expect worse to come. Heavy-handed Philippine terrorism law The Supreme Court of the Philippines will today hear oral arguments for and against 37 petitions to strike down a new law against terrorism. The thrust of the objections is that the law would give excessive powers to the authorities. That seems especially dangerous considering who heads the government, President Rodrigo Duterte, whose campaign against illegal drugs has killed over 6,000 people, probably unlawfully in many cases. His government argues that it needs the legislation to counter extremist groups, including Islamic State. In 2017, nearly 1,000 jihadists seized the city of Marawi and took more than 1,780 hostages. In the subsequent battle, 47 civilians, 165 soldiers and almost all the jihadists were killed. During the fighting, the government declared martial law. At the time, objections to the government awarding itself extraordinary powers carried little weight. With that threat having apparently receded, so too has the willingness to indulge Mr Duterte's hunger for power. From the ground up, biodiversity economics. How should economics treat the natural world? Partha Dasgupta, an emeritus professor at Cambridge University, will attempt to answer this question in a report on the economics of biodiversity, which was commissioned by the British government and is published today. Mr. Dasgupta will warn that the remarkable achievement of economic growth since 1950 has come alongside a massive deterioration in the biosphere's health. Economics has hitherto treated nature as something that is bolted onto its models, but it should incorporate it from the start. The intellectual toolkits of finance could help. Only if the world's natural capital is maintained will the Earth avoid tipping points and irreversible damage. 
Accounting for nature means adjusting GDP for the depreciation of assets, including natural capital. But because damage to the biosphere is often untraceable, protecting it requires individual responsibility as well as incentives. Mr. Dasgupta's subject pushes the economic method to its limits. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Arba Iban, who was born on this day in 1915. History teaches us that men and nations behave wisely once they have exhausted all other alternatives. That's it from the Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.